It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Harris Faulkner. I'm Greg Gutfeld. I'm Janice Dean. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Monday, August 1st, 2022, I'm Mike Emanuel. Arizona headlines the primary calendar tomorrow night with midterms that will decide the balance of power only 99 days away. There's also tremendous buzz in American politics with weak poll numbers if President Biden will seek a second term in 2024. A lot of folks may approve of his job performance or may not have starkly negative views of him, but they just think it's time for some new, fresh candidates to run. I'm Chris Foster. Fewer Americans are joining the military. About 20, 25 percent of American youth have been treated by a mental health professional in the last three years. And that's, you know, especially if they've been prescribed some strong medications for that, that's going to be disqualifying. And I'm Tammy Bruce. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Ninety-nine days from the midterm elections with primary contests taking place this week in Arizona, Kansas, Michigan, Missouri, and Washington. There continues to be major debate in political circles about whether President Biden should run for re-election in 2024. Karine Jean-Pierre is the White House press secretary. The president intends to run in 2024. We are a long ways away from that. Another big focus in American politics this week is on the Senate's effort to pass a massive climate change spending package worked out between Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and West Virginia Democrat Senator Joe Manchin. Manchin appeared on all five Sunday morning political shows, including... Fox News Sunday. This is a piece of legislation that's an investment. We've taken $3.5 trillion in spending that was aspirational spending that my colleagues wanted to do on the Democrat side, and we've taken that down to a $400 billion investment. We're not sending a check to anybody. Kansas Republican Senator Jerry Moran says with inflation soaring, now is not the time for this kind of legislation. We can have a debate and discussion and even votes on a bill that tries to make the tax code more fair to more people. But now in this time of a recession is not the time to tinker with the tax code in a way that I cannot see anything but bad news coming from it. With so much buzz surrounding the U.S.'s future political realm, we bring our focus back to tomorrow's primaries and what issues are at the forefront of voters' minds. This is a, a very challenging political environment for Democrats. The economy is in bad shape. Most Americans think the country is on the wrong track. Josh Kroshauer is a Fox News Radio political analyst who will be part of Fox News Radio's live coverage of tomorrow night's primaries. It's the first midterm of, of a new president. Usually that points to the opposition party making significant gains. And, and it looks like Republicans are going to have a very productive midterm election. I think the biggest challenge for Republicans is, especially when it comes to these Senate races, getting candidates that are able to take advantage of the political environment. Republicans are concerned about some of the candidates that they have nominated. Someone like a Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania, who is down by 11 points in the Fox News poll out this past week. Herschel Walker in Georgia, the field for Republicans in Arizona. Republicans do have the env environment and the fundamentals in their favor. 
the question is, do they have enough good candidates, especially in these big Senate races, to take advantage? How much stock do you put into Democrats backing, say, more MAGA candidates they think can be defeated in November? Democrats have poured $50 million into Republican primaries to try to elect more extreme or less electable Republican candidates. It's had a small impact. There's some races clearly where they've made a difference. Pennsylvania, the governor's race in Illinois, uh, certainly. Uh, Maryland, the governor's race there. But ultimately, the Senate especially, that is what is going to be most hanging in the balance come election night. Ultimately, it's going to come down to the Republican choices themselves and whether someone like uh, Herschel Walker, who Trump recruited into the Georgia Senate race, didn't really have much experience in politics, a first-time candidate, whether that type of candidate, a celebrity first-time candidate, can be ready for political primetime in what's going to be a very closely watched midterm. This week's contests in Kansas, Missouri, Washington, Michigan, and Arizona. A lot of attention on Arizona, and I think Missouri. Uh, what are you watching most closely? Yeah, Arizona, that's going to be the big political epicenter uh, for these August 2nd primaries. The governor's race between Carrie Lake and Karen Robeson, a classic test between the Trump wing of the Republican Party and the establishment, or call it the Mike Pence wing of the Republican Party. Carrie Lake has the endorsement of a former President Trump, who just did a rally for her campaign this month. And you've got Robeson, who had Mike Pence and, and, and the governor, the popular governor, Governor Doug Ducey, on her side. And, and she also has a pretty sizable spending advantage on the airwaves uh, in, in that Republican primary. So that's going to be the biggest test between Trump and the more traditional Republican forces. But you also have uh, contests in Washington state, too, where two Republicans who voted for Trump's impeachment on the ballot and in the, in the fight for their political lives. That's also going to be a big test of which element of the party is in full swing, has the most momentum going forward. Let's talk economy, since pocketbook issues will be front and center as Republicans and Democrats go to the polls in November. The White House really tried to downplay recession talk this week, second quarter GDP number coming out, and they basically said, ah, it's backward-looking data. Uh, what do you make of that, and does it really matter what the White House calls it, or is it really what the American voter feels when they go to the grocery store, the gas station, and beyond? Yeah, every report you see, every economic report is by definition backwards looking. So that's pretty a weak spin coming from the White House, given that every report we always analyze is by definition from the month before. And, and just from a strictly political perspective, it, it isn't smart when voters are telling you, your own voters, Democratic voters and all these polls are telling you that they don't feel like they can pay for grocery bills, that they don't feel like they're in good economic condition. So I think the better way for this White House to respond to these rough economic conditions is to talk about the things that the White House can actually do to to solve the problem, to deal with the pinch that a lot of Americans feel right now. Um, but yeah, politically, this is a huge drag on the Democratic Party. They're facing major economic headwinds heading into the November election. Big shock in recent days after Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia was getting beaten up by the progressive left. He suddenly announces he's reached a deal with Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer on a climate spending package. Um, 
They need all 50 Democrats on board. So how much leverage does this give Kirsten Cinema of Arizona? And what do you think she wants while she's got some leverage? It gives her leverage, though. Look, uh, this is the last chance for Democrats to pass any legislation of, of consequence. And given that Senator Cinema faces her own re-election in 2024, it would be hard to see how she comes to a no. It would, it would really damage her standing within the Democratic Party. It would put the nail in the coffin, so to speak, politically, at least within her own party. Uh, so, you know, maybe she'll try to negotiate down some of the tax hikes. Carried interest is one thing she's been opposed to. Maybe she tries to negotiate that out of the legislation. But it's hard to see, given that every other Democrat in the Senate it seems to be for this, and, and you also have even the House Democratic holdouts all on board or close to on board, it's hard to see Senator Cinema single-handedly scuttling this legislation. With inflation is such a concern and talk of a recession, I've heard folks say, you know, they're concerned about more money being pumped in by the government should this deal pass. And they're also concerned about some of the tax implications should this deal pass. Uh, thoughts on that? Well, I don't think this is going to have much of a political impact. It may, maybe, you know, uh, the fact that the Democrats are now at least on the same page. There's not, not the division within the party. But ultimately, we're still going to be looking at a rough economic environment headed into November. There's, the benefits are going to be longer term benefits like tax credits for electric vehicles and things that don't really affect Americans on a day to day basis. So it really just goes to show that Democrats finally are able to be on the same page on, 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 on a major issue that should have united their party and ended up dividing them throughout much of the last year. Looking ahead to 2024, you had Congressman Dean Phillips of Minnesota, a Democrat, in a local radio interview saying he does not want Joe Biden to run again in 2024. Quote, I think it's time for a generational change. How shocking is that for somebody from the president's own party to say that? And do you expect more Democrats to jump ship? It is pretty notable that you have a pretty rank-and-file Democratic congressman from Minnesota like Dean Phillips basically saying we need fresh blood for 2024. And frankly, Mike, that's what a lot of Democrats privately are saying. They have mm-hmm. a hard time envisioning someone at in their 80s running for re-election who would be near 90 at the end of a second term. It just – you hear focus groups, you see polling. CNN had a poll. Three-quarters of Democrats don't want Biden to run again in 2024. So that's what the Democrats are looking at these polls. They're listening to their constituents. It's not like everyone dislikes President Biden, but there's a real question on whether with his age, almost 80 years old, whether he really has the stamina and energy to to run for for a second term. And frankly, whether it's good for the Democratic Party to have someone that old uh, running for office. And at a time when he's getting hit with some of these attacks from people in his own party, he also contracted COVID. Uh, it went away after taking Paxlovid, and then the symptoms came back, and he tested, or not the symptoms, but he tested positive once again. Um, the timing of that has to make people at the White House frustrated because uh, there are concerns about whether he's, you know, he's up to the job going forward. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those those stories where it seems like he's in fine health, that he is not suffering any any real setback, but he got a positive test. And that's what a lot of Americans have dealt with when they, they've taken Paxlovid, they've gotten better, and occasionally you'll get this rebound, maybe not even a rebound case, but a rebound positive test. 
Um, it, it goes to show that uh, how, how confusing this this pandemic has been for most Americans at this point, especially, and how important the communications effort from the White House, which I think has been lacking for much much of this year, uh, is to reassure the American public that we're not there's not a whole lot to worry about that some of these rebound cases may happen, but don't seem to be all that serious. You've got this University of New Hampshire poll asking Democratic voters who their favorite is for 2024. And you had Pete Buttigieg, the transportation secretary, coming out on top. President Biden second and Vice President Kamala Harris buried way down on the list. Uh, What do you make of that? And how does this play into all this 2024 speculation? So the first thought I had is whether Democrats are going to keep New Hampshire at the top of the primary calendar. They're in the middle of discussing and debating which states are going to go first. And the fact that President Biden and, and boy, Vice President Harris in seventh place, um, that might maybe that'll hurt New Hampshire's chances of being first in the, in the country. It would be pretty embarrassing if either a sitting president or a vice president uh, was that doing that badly. You know, big, big picture, though, the fact that you have a sitting president only in the teens in a, in a crowded primary field. That, that, that is not good for President Biden. And I think, again, I think it just goes to show that a lot of folks may, may, may approve of his job performance or may not have starkly negative views of him, but they just think it's time for some new, fresh candidates to run that are younger and represent the, the younger generation. Josh Kroshauer, thank you so much for your time and your analysis, and we'll see where the politics go this week. Thanks, Mike. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. This is Tammy Bruce with your Fox News commentary coming up. The military is on track to fall well short of its recruitment goals this year with fewer young Americans showing any interest in serving. The Marines have been reaching out to those who may feel isolated in a more digital world. We offer another path where the battle to belong begins. That adds from a couple of years ago. The recruitment numbers are even worse now, and some members of Congress are talking about holding hearings to find out why and what should be done about what's being called the worst recruiting environment since the start of the all-volunteer force in 1973. The labor market combined with less and fewer and fewer Americans able to qualify. And then we have these factors which are contributing to persuade people not to join the military. Thomas Spores, director of the Heritage Foundation Center for National Defense. He's a retired lieutenant general with 36 years in the Army. All these things together make this the worst year ever. What are some of the physical requirements? I mean, do they, do they differ by branch? Have they been uh, loosened at all over time? Or is it still, you know, you're still going to be in pretty decent shape? You know, one of the big ones is a body fat uh, percentage. You you can't be, I think, more than I want to say twenty five or twenty six percent body fat. Uh, you you have to be able to do just some very minimum amounts of uh, physical fitness things. Nothing extraordinary. The the military prides itself in in making uh, and uh, people lean, mean fighting machines. Uh, you got to have good eyes. Uh, you have to be free of. Some of these uh, prescription drug medications, you know, for anxiety and things like that, you can't be on those right then. 
a high school degree or a GED. Uh, so these aren't extraordinary, and they have not changed that much in recent years. Yeah, the prescription drug thing I hadn't thought about. I, gu I guess you're right. If you're deployed and you're on, uh, like you said, an anti-anxiety medication, it might be tough to get your hands on if you feel like you're dependent on it. Yeah, exactly. You can't, you know, have this need for a daily medication. I mean, some things probably okay, but you know, uh, Xanax, things like that. Those those will not allow you to join the military. Uh, the army's announced this 90-day prep course. You know about this yet? Yeah, I love that idea. Yeah, so it's a Fort Jackson, South Carolina. Talk about what they're doing there. Yeah, and so you know, uh, heretofore up to this point, you know, if you show up at the recruiter's office and you are, let's say, 28% body fat, they essentially would, in the past, would have to say, "Hey, I'm sorry, uh, come back when you're, you know, meet the Army standard of uh, 26%." Well, now what they're doing, and this is just a pilot program, is they're saying, "Okay, uh, no, we're going to send you on to one of our installations, Fort Jackson in South Carolina." put you in a 90 day program, uh, help you lose weight, you know, good nutrition, good exercise, done, all done by professionals. And then we'll see at the end of those 90 days, uh, whether we can get you to the army uh, standards. So I think, I think this is a good way to kind of meet American youth uh, where they are versus just kind of saying, nope, sorry, come back later. Yeah, it's kind of like when a college student uh, gets into college, but they're like, yeah, you're not quite ready for English or math 101. So let's put you in this sort of remedial class that's in between high school and college. Yeah, exactly right. And I think there's something to this. They also have a part where there's a, a qualification test. It's more academic called the ASFAB. And they're also going to help people uh, raise their scores on that. They're not going to teach the test and tell you what the answers are, but they're going to try and get people up uh, to a higher score. Another strong correlation with wanting to join the military is being exposed to veterans or, or people who are serving now. So, uh, fewer people in the military begets fewer people in the military. You know what I'm saying? Like if you're if 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 fewer people want to get in now, the, they're not going to inspire anybody else. Yeah, you know the percentage of veterans in American society is going down about two percent every year. So every year we lose these veterans who have such a powerful impact on our young people. You know, aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas. You know, all these people when you're gathered together for Christmas or Thanksgiving, they talk about, you know, the their experiences in the military. That has a powerful effect on young people. And we're we're slowly losing that. And then we're gonna have to find some other way to make young people aware of the opportunities in the military. I mean, the Pentagon's been trying to make this effort to attract what you might think of as non-traditional recruits who may not have thought about the the military as an option. Do you think that's about legitimately about just inclusion or do you think it's expanding the pool or both? No, I, I do think they, they think a lot about how can we make sure that we are getting the broadest possible net of people in the military. And and I, I think that's right. You know, they've gone to some cities like Los Angeles and Chicago, where typically people do not enlist in the military from those places. And they're, they're trying to make another effort there and double down and see if they can't uh, squeeze some people out. I think in these, t in these tough recruiting times, they really can't afford to leave any rock unturned. Yeah, and unemployment, like you mentioned, is is pretty low. Is there a correlation there in the last, what is it, 50 years about since it's been an all-volunteer force? Notwithstanding like big events like you know right after 9-11, let's say, but when people are looking for jobs, do more of them find themselves in the military? Yeah, absolutely. There's a direct correlation between the unemployment rate and military recruiting. Some there's some you know percentage of people that were going to join the military no matter what. You know they've they've been motivated by something either a parent or some feeling of patriotism. Uh, but a lot of people are motivated by economic conditions and whether or not somebody else is offering them a job. And so it's a big deal. It's not the full explanation of the problems we're having right now, but it it's a big contributor to the current recruiting crisis. 
we hear about younger people, teenagers, being in more mental health distress now than they maybe had been in the past. I don't know if that's about self-reporting or or if kids just didn't talk about it then or what. Are, are the military psychological tests bearing that out? Yeah, I mean, the, what, what we're finding when they come to the recruiting station is that about 20, 25% of American youth have been treated by a mental health professional in the last three years. And that's, you know, especially if they've been prescribed some strong medications for that, that's going to be disqualifying. And, and I'm like you, I don't know whether this is, we are just understanding this more or whether this is actually in the increase. A lot of, a lot of people speculate that social media and people comparing each other uh, on social media and their friend groups and how many how many you know contacts you have leads to people with anxiety and that's and that's causing this i you know i don't know but i know it's a thing how are recruitment goals set um what i'm leading to is do we how do we know how many people we need do we need fewer bodies now than we used to it's it's not like you know we're fighting infantry wars these days yeah. So, the, you know, almost all the branches of the military have gone in, down in strength already. When I came in the military 30 plus years ago, the Army was up at 700,000 active duty soldiers. Now it's in the neighborhood of 480. So the military has already come down uh, as a result of numerous factors. And some some functions can be done by robots and autonomy like drones and things like that. But by and large, uh, the military you know, is a hands on kind of thing where you have to have sailors and soldiers. Uh, and airmen to operate these systems and, and to fight uh, the nation's wars. And the, the way they set these goals is you take the the authorized strength of the service. So for the, in the Army's case, it's 485,000. And you just plug that into a model, which has all kinds of predictions about how many people will actually complete their first term. And you come up with a uh, an annual uh, recruiting goal based on all those factors, which if you if you were able to recruit that number, you're your military will be able to meet its authorized strength. Uh, are some branches having a harder time than others? Are there periods where, uh, whatever, the Top Gun comes out in 1986 and, you know, and, and Navy recruitment goes up? Uh, what's going on now, branch to branch? Yeah, right now, uh, the Army's having the hardest trouble. That Part of that is because the Army needs the most people, and so they're the most you know, sensitive to any kind of fluctuation. So they're hurting the most. I think the Air Force is also hurting. The Navy may be next. And the Marine Corps, you know, for whatever reason, the Marine Corps, people interested in it are relatively consistent. They're not as much motivated by economic conditions or other things. They've had, they've had a parent or they've they've seen Marines and they and they come in uh, regardless of the unemployment rate and things like that. So it's it's shaping up to be the worst year ever. And the Army's having the worst of it. Yeah, you talk to people who uh, have served in the Marines or are in the Marines. They weren't joining the military. They were joining the Marines. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's a Marine for life kind of thing. And that's the kind of same philosophy we need to try and extend to the other military services. Uh, if you were at the Pentagon, what do you do? Any answers in your mind? I, one answer for me is we have to close this uh, information gap that most Americans have about their military. You know, the American public is is shockingly un, you know uninformed about what goes on in the U.S. military. They get their their information from streaming on Amazon or or things like that. And you know, when they do surveys, they find out that American youth doesn't believe that service in the military allows you time for recreation or hobbies or even to have a dog and uh, none of those things are accurate you know but that's the popular perception so we need to close that gap my sense is when you get young people in the same room with a, a young confident military 
uh, professional, you know, they they understand how what the military can do for people. They see how these confident leaders are and they, you know, they gravitate to that. But right now we have this gap where they, you know, you know American youth doesn't even see people in the military. Yeah. Thomas Spohr on talking about um, the recruitment crisis in the American military right now. He's director of the Heritage Foundation Center for National Defense, 36 years in the Army himself, retired Lieutenant General. Uh, General Spohr, thanks. Thanks a lot. Good talking to you. You as well, Chris. Thanks. Here's a look at the week ahead. Monday. The U.S. Postal Service is set to make some changes designed to improve package deliveries. Retail ground and parcel select packages will now be shipped in a two to five day time frame down from the current two to eight day standard. Tuesday. Primary elections are set for six states. Voters head to the poll in Arizona, Kansas, Michigan, Missouri, Ohio and Washington. Wednesday. OPEC and non-OPEC partners, a group dubbed OPEC Plus, are set to increase monthly overall oil production for August by 648,000 barrels a day. Thursday. Tennessee holds a statewide primary election with voters casting ballots for House seats, the governor's office, and a number of other statewide seats. Saturday. Marks 77 years since the U.S. military dropped a nuclear weapon on Hiroshima, Japan. The blast initially killed at least 70,000 people, with injuries and radiation raising that number to about 140,000. And that's a look at your week ahead. I'm Rich Dennison, Fox News. News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Tammy Bruce. Bruce. What's on your mind? The nation was shocked as we watched two obscenely violent events unfold in front of us. Local and national Democrats issued a collective shrug when Representative Lee Zeldin, the Republican in New York, who, while campaigning in his quest to become the Republican governor of New York, was brazenly attacked by a man holding a stabbing weapon. As the attempted assassination unfolded, the alleged perpetrator kept saying, you're done, you're done. The assassination of a Republican politician was averted, and the alleged perpetrator was arrested. But then the madness enters the story. Courtesy of today's progressive Democrats and their no-bail laws, the attempted assassin was quickly released from custody on his own recognizance, within hours of being charged with second-degree attempted assault. Displayed in front of the entire world is the fact that Democrats are so bent on destroying civil society, you can attempt to assassinate a sitting member of Congress and a man who may become the governor of New York, and it doesn't even merit being held in jail. The rank absurdity of the situation doesn't end there. In a display revealing that the establishment knows exactly how damaging their agenda is to the country, the New York Times stepped in with a story implying Mr. Zeldin is to blame for the release of the suspect as part of a conspiracy with other Republicans to bolster his anti-crime agenda. That's right. They went right to a ridiculous conspiracy theory, blaming the victim in an effort to distract from the catastrophe of Democratic pro-crime and pro-chaos policies. Deep into their fiction, they sheepishly note that there's no evidence to anything they were alleging. 
Ultimately, the federal government stepped in and arrested the suspect on federal charges. You know things are bad when the bar is so low that we're thrilled with that a suspect in an attempted assassination is actually arrested and held. The New York Times mission to blame others for the Democrats' pro-crime policies was destined to fail, considering the fact that there are multiple stories every week about the continuing collapse of civil society in New York. Just a few days after the Zeldin attack, a cell phone video of two teenagers brutally assaulting two transit police officers in the New York subway system went viral. Detained for fare evading, the teenagers attacked the officers viciously. One of the alleged perps repeatedly punched an officer and at one point put him into a chokehold. Just like the alleged attempted assassin of Zeldin, the suspects were released without bail and were right back onto the street. Both of these instances show individuals behaving in a manner that is open, brazen, and murderous. Beyond violence, we are witnessing individuals committing extraordinarily violent acts, but with an attitude as though they are heroes or doing the right thing. It's undeniable that the combination of the Democrats' defund the police rhetoric, the constant denigration of the police by elected officials, and justice systems in blue cities appearing to protect and even understand the criminal element, send a message that crime is appropriate, violence is expected, and rewarded with no punishment. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Did you hear the news? Now you can. With instant updates from Fox News for Amazon Alexa. Just say, Alexa, play news from Fox. In Fox News. It's the latest when you need it on demand from Fox News and Amazon Alexa. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.